I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm Darren Driver, the crackling first 15 minutes of pressing of the podcast. I cannot sustain this effort forever. And I'm joined today by the back post Benteke miss of the podcast. We're lucky to get away with it, but we'll take our look where we can find it. It's John McKenzie. John, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm enjoying your American sports announcer's uh, <laughs> optimism, enthusiasm to bring me into the pod. Yeah, it's, that's G'd me up, if nothing else has. I'm always enthusiastic to talk to you, John. <laughs> you you know that. Did you miss me last night? Because we were supposed to go to the game together, weren't we? Yeah, I always miss you, Darren, when I when I can't see you. But I did get to see you through the through the window, and I was picking up the ticket. And um, yeah, I made made do with Callum Archibald, who was a yeah, he was a, a good replacement to listen to my 90 minutes of Dan James bashing. But um, yeah, how did you enjoy the game? Yeah, I enjoyed the game. I got very emotionally involved. And because I'm not feeling particularly great at the moment, um, I think I think I was a, there was a bit of kind of a bit of little man tears came out at the end when, <laughs> when, when we eventually managed to secure the win. Whether I enjoy Leeds game or not is probably not as much tied up in whether we play well as I think it is for you. It's, it, uh, I am probably more results orientated than you are. Bielsa did change that for a while, but now we're not playing very well. I've reverted back to we'll take the wins and <laughs> and they don't award points for artistic merit <laughs> kind of take on things so yeah that's that's kind of where I am we're not talking about your mystery illness we're doing we're doing the Leeds United are we we're gonna we're gonna say that you can you can renounce it on your Instagram feed but but we'll make no comment as to Darren's mystery illness absolutely the uh the test results will not be being posted onto my Instagram because <laughs> I'm not quite that self-absorbed but um but yeah I've, I've got COVID so I've been sitting in my house feeling miserable for the for the last few days um and yeah that's that's the way that is so anyway we're going to do this podcast in two parts and John is going to kind of chair the review section of it and and interrogate me and then I'm going to take over and host the second part of the podcast where we're going to preview the Brentford game um but before we do either of those things John I think it might just be worth reflecting on 
Angus Kinnear's moronic and slightly ill-considered comments in the programme, because uh, we have been asked to do that. Um, and I wonder whether we just say that they were ill-considered and moronic and kind of move on. I've not actually read the programme notes properly because they, they obviously came out when I was driving over to the game and I haven't had a chance to really enjoy the full experience of Angus Kinnear waxing lyrical about intellectual history and uh, and you know the history of communism so yeah I'm happy to go with ill-conceived and moronic I, yeah I, the idea that that you can equate you know the great leap forward and the the long march of Mao Zedong as 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 being sort of the the foothills of where the Premier League is ending up <laughs> is is a bit stretchy there's there's certainly a great leap going on in those program notes but I'm not sure it's Mao Zedong who's making that great leap <laughs> A bit stretchy. That'll look good on the poster, won't it? Okay, excellent. So, yeah, I'm going to hand over to you now, John. So, yeah, interrogate me, tie me to a chair, uh, do whatever <laughs> you want. Um, yeah, well, the idea of interrogating a sickly man in his attic in Beeston doesn't really appeal to me. Um, <laughs> it's not really my kink. But um, So, in, in light of that fact, I've re- renamed this section The Conversation. So... Um, Hopefully that will be the spirit of conviviality will be um, will be more evident here. So to kick things off, just a basic question. Obviously a good result, but was it a good performance? It's an interesting one. I think it was a bit of a I think it was a bit of a mixed bag. Um, so there were certainly elements of the performance that I thought were 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 decent. I thought there were things that we did well. Um, I thought there were some good individual performances within the team. I thought Adam Forshaw was absolutely magnificent from start to finish and really kind of um, showed a lot of what we've missed when he hasn't been able to play. Um, I thought Dallas managed Zaha really well and really kind of relished the the physical battle there and 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 stuck to that task really admirably because I think Zaha is one of the most difficult players around to manage. Um, I thought Calvin Phillips looked a bit more like himself. Um, I, I, I thought he, he he worked well defensively and I thought he he used the ball relatively well in terms of the way that, 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 um, that he was able to. And obviously with Rafinha, there's always a chance that you're going to nick something, albeit it was a... It was a penalty, quite cheekily taken. Um, and I think that there were elements of the performance that were tactically better than we've seen recently. Um, so I, I I know that we're going to talk about this shortly, but um, I thought Palace, although they didn't press as high, um, they did do some things which caused problems. So they, they, they sat in a, a solid mid-block and, and put the onus on us to break them down. And I thought we moved the ball through the through the middle and back third well and into the final third well. Um, it was what we did there when we got there that was that was more problematic. And I also thought they used their individual runners and, and skill that they've got in the team intelligently to try and um, to try and uh, take advantage of the, of that that little kink that we've got in our in our armory. And um, I, I thought we managed that pretty well by and large. I know that they did make a couple of chances, but I would expect a team that's got Zaha and um, and Gallagher in, in to make a couple of chances. My concern really is that is not that we gave a couple of chances away, it's that we weren't able to make more chances given the really good positions that we found ourselves getting into throughout the game. Yeah, I think the, the lack of creativity that you mentioned there is the interesting one. So just looking at the underlying numbers and of course like no one wants to look at the underlying numbers the the day after the night before, but it, it, the worrying thing is if you look at expected assists numbers, Leeds put up 0.8 expected assists. 0.6 of that came from um Dan James finding Rodrigo who took a touch that went out 
of play um, rather than shooting. And so I think if you, you know, the underlying numbers there are very reliant on whether or not you judge Rodrigo to have taken a shot there or not. And if you judge him not to have taken a shot, then we're talking about 0.2 expected assists um, from from Leeds in the course of the 90 minutes, which I think is is a little bit worrying, isn't it? So what, what how would you respond to that sort of criticism that, that okay, we got the penalty, we, 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 we did create a big chance, um, even if the, the, the shot wasn't taken, but actually beyond that, we didn't really do much at all. Yeah, and I, I think that is that is still a massive concern because we, we, we constantly get into really good positions. Well, not constantly, but regularly enough we get into really good positions that we should make more chances than we do. And then then we, we're not able to... We, we, <laughs> we invariably choose the wrong option in terms of whether to shoot, whether to pass. Um, and that, that means that we, we do waste a lot of opportunities to make chances. And, and I think that I, I always try really hard to separate it into two distinct things for me. So when I'm watching the game, I'm not thinking about underlying numbers. I'm not thinking about whether what our XG is. I'm not thinking about what our XGA is. I'm, I'm just watching the game and I'm really involved and engaged in it. And, you know, like I was really into it last night. And, and when we when we scored, it was a massive weight of relief off my shoulders because of the contextual picture that, that's around. But But when we come to do this... Obviously, that stuff has to go away because because we're not a fan culture outlet. We're an, we're an analysis outlet, and um, and we have to look at the things more dispassionately. And the dispassionate picture of our chance creation over the course of the season um, is that we're not creating enough chances. We're not creating them regularly enough. We're not creating enough big chances. Um, and you know, one of the, one of the things that we used to be able to say um, back in the championship days and, and at times last season, um, even when we were getting bad results, we were able to go, well, actually, these underlying numbers suggest that at some point we're going to start getting the things we deserve. Now, at the moment, I think we are, by and large, getting the things we deserve, um, which is uh, which is not great results because we're not putting in performances which, which facilitate... Um, which facilitate great results through um, through improving the underlying numbers in ways which we consistently have through Bielsa's time. Yeah, and I think it's important to say that the, the reason that we care about in underlying numbers isn't because we are, are completely lost um, to the world of numbers. It's because the general idea is that if your underlying numbers are good over the course of a, a, a bigger tranche of games, you'd expect to get better results from that. So um, it's certainly not the case that we're going to take the underlying numbers from one game and make uh, uh, an argument that Leeds didn't play well or didn't deserve to win. But it is going to be the case that over the course of this season, where it does seem as though we've struggled to create chances, that you you start worrying about things a little bit. So that moves me kind of on to the second question, which is seems to be sort of this general narrative this season that Leeds have been you know unlucky with with injuries and are, are just a sort of team who are, should in, inherit a place in the top half but because of various things playing against them they they just haven't made it this season um and I wondered whether or not you think that that's the entire picture whether or not you think that actually this season we found that Leeds have been dependent a lot more on the way that oppositions play against them in a way that didn't seem to happen so much last season so um, obviously we've gone from a game against Brighton where they they made us look pretty poor for the majority of the game and then we've gone into a game against Palace where we've looked fairly competent is it the case that you know as the the narrative goes that we've just got a few of our um, players back from injury and so everything's going to be fine or do you think there is something to the fact that opposition teams do seem to be able to dictate whether or not we'll play well or badly I think that 
Every team is going to struggle when they've got good players out. That's one thing. And, and I, I, I think that's an undeniable thing. Um, however, I also do think that, that the point that oppositions who set up uh, in order to stop specific things that we do well, um, and specifically those who stop us building up out from the back effectively, um, they are going to make life more difficult for us and, and therefore it does become dependent on the opponent approach, how good we look. And often I think it's how good we look rather than how effective we are because even in games like last night where, where we were able to build through the thirds more effectively because Palace allowed that to a degree, we still ran into some of the same problems when we got into the back third. So I think a lot of the time it is about how we look rather than about as, as much as it is about how we function. But I do also think that's true of every team to a degree. So um, if you think about um, you know teams who've got a, a very specific tactical um, elements of them so for example if you think about Man City using positional play to move the ball around if you pack the box out and, and stop uh, stop them from moving you around then you're going to kill their kind of or you're going to have a better chance of stopping their their creation similarly with Southampton their thing is all about their press so if you can find a way to bypass Southampton's press then obviously they're going to be less effective even when it comes down to players if you think about last season with Jack Grealish at Villa if you stop Grealish playing you more or less stopped Villa playing last season so I, th- I think it is true of us this season and I think t- more teams are taking more proactive steps in order to to stop us from doing the things that we do well but I do also genuinely believe that that is true of most teams that, if, that, that you stop them doing the thing they do well they're going to look worse Question 3 was there anything interesting tactically about that game? Uh, not particularly and I think we can probably move on from that question there what did you think John? because you, you know I know you're not going to be clipping it for, for video analysis but the way I saw the game was it was just a very kind of bog standard 4-1-4-1 versus a 4-2-3-1 them trying to catch us in def- defensive transition us trying to break them down that's kind of how the, the game played out I didn't, I didn't see much beyond that what about you? Yeah, it's the same sort of thing that you're saying there. Basically the same structure, maybe slightly different three-man midfield setups, but like not much in it. Um, they were sitting deep. I think they were they weren't really happy to take the draw, obviously, and I think that's what they sort of set up for. Don't be too adventurous in attack. Don't leave yourself open at the back. Um, maybe you can pick some. Maybe you can pick pick out a goal from somewhere, uh, and then and then sit on it. Um, and that's sort of how it worked out. And I think after Leeds maybe pressed okay in the first ten fifteen minutes, then um, Palace just sort of started playing the ball long as soon as possible, and the, the game sort of yeah <laughs> at the fifteen minute mark fizzled into a into a bit of a uh, let's say a transitional game in terms of switching possession backwards and forwards a bit Leeds trying to labor in moving the ball into wide areas not really managing it and um yeah palace trying to i guess wait for Leeds to make a mistake in their build up and 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 jump on that so yeah nothing really tactically interesting about the game and I'm pretty glad I don't need to do the clipping to be honest. <laughs> I think the only thing that that palace did tactically in terms of trying to get us was a thing that that I expect every team to do against us now, which is to get their more individually skilled players on the ball and get them to run at us. And I did, I did notice that they did, they did have a lot of successful take-ons. Um, I think it was something like sixteen to three or something like that. So I think that that is an interesting thing that happened. But I don't think it's unique because I do expect every team that's got anybody that can run with the ball to do that against us. Yeah, interestingly enough, I did think that they got into dangerous positions a lot. Um, in terms of just getting in behind the line of pressure that Leeds had. Le- Leeds would build up, lose the ball, pressure the ball, and then 
Palace would get into central spaces and wide spaces um, without a huge amount of pressure on them. Uh, and they didn't really make much of it. And I think that I'm a little bit nervous going into December because I think if you do that against elite teams, they just absolutely take you to pieces. So um, that's definitely something that is worth keeping out uh, an eye out for in the next few uh, weeks for sure. So speaking about uh, maybe areas of nervousness for us, uh, I've got a question about about Junior. Where do you think we're at with Junior? Because obviously at the beginning of the game, he was dropped in favour of a centre-back, which I think is pretty damning of, of him. Um, when he comes on, we do see both sides of him um, we see that yellow card really early on and uh, you know a few moments in in defensive transition in particular where he's a little bit nervy um, but obviously Palace weren't actually putting a huge amount of pressure through that that fullback spot really in the second half um, and he was able to get forward a little bit more and looked a little bit better so where, what's your t- what's your take on Junior like how have we ended up with a with the only left back really specifically focused on that area who doesn't seem to be able to defend and, and like where does that leave us with respect to how do you have a left back like that who you'll be happy playing against teams that are going to give you space and time on the ball and and teams that are not yeah it's a good question I mean I expected him to be to be dropped last night I didn't expect him to play um, I thought taking him out of the firing line um, was was probably the smart smart thing to do given how torrid a time um, he'd been given by by Lamptey down at Brighton Um However, I, I think, yeah, one, I think once he came on, like he he did manage to settle into the game beyond that kind of moment where where he um, yeah where he gets caught in he gets caught in transition really and he's just charging back to try and to try and uh, try and win the ball back and he he make he makes a run um, which which doesn't which I don't think is particularly helpful. I, I don't think the lane that he runs when he's trying to get back is particularly helpful to the to either his teammates and I think it also more or less guarantees a foul because as soon as Ayu gets any sense of where Junior is or any sense that he gets close he's just going to run across him and make sure that Junior takes him out so I, I, I think I think it does expose some of his clear positional issues in terms of his defending ones that we saw exposed time and again at Brighton so although we we, we, we talk about him um struggling to get to grips with the with the man marking system actually I think it's I do think like it Within that, there's a, there's a real positional element um, whereby he's kind of often not sure whether to get whether whether to get tight or he's not tight enough or he just switch, switches off for a second and loses where his player is and then then they're either in behind him or um, or whatever. So I, I do I do think that that defensively we're, we're gonna have issues until he either really learns the system in terms of defending um learn and and kind of really focuses on that or we're just going to have to accept that this is a weakness that we're going to be dealing with throughout the season i think the the fact that we haven't got a a, a backup specialist left back in either the first team squad or in the under 23 setup is a bit damning really of 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 where we are we sh- definitely should have that and i noticed that leo held has been used at left back a lot in the under 23s who again is a center back being played out of position um however what i do think is that last night um i highlighted in in the newsletter that we sent out um maybe a month ago that um 
in terms of <coughs> Junior's attacking play, that he'd made a lot of runs, a lot of inverted runs into the box that hadn't been picked out by our players and that therefore he wasn't really contributing to the attacking play in the way that we wanted to. And I noticed last night that he made a few of those and was picked out and was therefore in decent positions to put good crosses in. So I think I think that that we that we saw some of his potential upside that we might get from him there, but but I I am really concerned that um, that that particularly when when there are games when he's when he's trying to be proactive and attack that he is going to leave um, spaces in behind, and I think his inclination is to be proactive and attack, and I think that that is going to cause us problems at times. However, what I will say is that although he was really poor against against Lamptey last week that I actually do still think that he managed Mo Salah quite well at Elland Road at times when and, and managed to stop Salah quite often in, and put a good number of blocks and tackles in against him. So I think that does give us some encouragement that he might be able to get it. And I also think there were a couple of occasions last night where where he both tracked Ayu right across the pitch and man-marked diligently and there was the point at which he stopped um, Zaha in, in, a, in a good run. So I do think there are a couple of like encouraging signs, but I, but I do continue to be really concerned that he will leave us exposed in that left-back area and that, that we will be vulnerable down that side, particularly if his left winger isn't helping him out uh, or his left centre-back isn't positionally aware enough to, to be alert to that danger and to make sure that he's been backed up. Yeah, a few things to say. One, one of which is like a fairly interesting like trajectory on his development at Leeds because I feel as though early on he just was too scared to go forward, um, so very much sat back. And the big complaints about him was, oh, he's not getting forward enough. Now he's getting forward, but he's leaving space and getting done uh, in transition a little bit more. And um, we actually had a previous recording of this of this episode um, before our audio got mangled, where I spent a lot of time. To, we talked a lot about the positional aspect of, uh, of 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 junior um we talked about the fact that the yellow card that he gives away he makes a sort of very odd kind of run um when when the fullback uh, when Ayu gets in behind him um and uh, eventually gets the ball but, but gets the player before he gets the ball um gets to the ball but gets the player before he gets the ball um and we talked a little bit about that so maybe i'll reiterate that 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 i think the the big issue that i have with with um with junior is not actually really the man marking per se because a lot of people said oh he needs to we just need him to sort out the man marking asap i actually think the issue is is more the positional elements that are involved obviously the man marking system is isn't that hard to get your head around i don't think uh, because you obviously have your marking responsibility yes there is the passing players on element to it but i think even that isn't that difficult because it's largely when you're marking someone is the ball in a more dangerous situation here than it than 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 my marking responsibility could be if the ball were to get to them somehow and if that is the case then you switch towards a more ball focused approach um but i think that i do think that there's there's certain decisions that have to be made still that that mean that our our defenders particularly aren't entirely non-zonal um so we've talked a lot about the way that that Diego Llorente defends for example um and especially in defensive transition i think you have to be in the correct zone um, to, to 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 mark, even if you're if, because if you get too close to the player that you're marking, then they'll just go run on you and they'll get beat you to the ball all the time. Um, and so there are there are instances where we'll see some of our defenders make the the wrong decision in terms of the zones that they should be in. E.g., Calvin Phillips against Neil Mope in the Brighton game, he uh, he, he defended that situation zonally badly. Um, 
I think the same is true of of Junior. Um, that he that at the moment he is defending as though he's playing in a zonal system rather than a man marking system, um, and he goes too far the other way in the zonal sense. So running that line, he runs basically runs a line. Um, when he gets that yellow card towards the front post, that's what you do in a zonal system. If you've been beaten by your fullback, um, sorry, by your as a fullback by your, um, your your player in the channel, the centre back on your side pushes out into that channel and you replace them. So you basically take a line back to the front post because you're essentially defending in transition. And so you want to just make sure that you make the the, the quickest line to defending the goal. Uh, and in many respects, he sort of did that fairly well I thought um, because he did get back to where the ball ended up being um, but for me I think the the issue is at the moment is more that what I was talking about before that sort of risk assessment that we need as as um, in, in a man marking system which is being and that's where the zonal element comes in right because you have to balance off getting close to your man with being in the correct zone and I think at the moment he's not able to to do that properly. Um, I mentioned before the, um, the 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 moment against Brighton where he just completely misreads where Lamptey is, decides to step forward towards him, realizes too late that he's made the mistake, and then Lamptey's in behind him. Uh, and I think that's the area that I'm worried about with with um, Junior at the moment is that he um, he just isn't reading the positional element to man marking well enough. Um, but no doubt you have thoughts about this. So I've talked too much already. So I agree with you. I think I think that his his positional awareness um, is definitely not his strength, um, and and that that is going to cause us problems. That he's you know I think one of the things is he do, he, he does get sucked into the ball quite a bit in 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 and and. Um, that can mean that he's not aware of what's going on behind him or around him, and that that he can lose lose players. At, at the specific thing you're talking about in the Brighton game was that he get he he buys uh, Lamptey taking two steps towards the halfway line. Lamptey then immediately um, runs off him, and and Junior takes like an age to really realise that that's happened and get back. And and I, I think that that that's partly because his orientation to his player in the initial thing is wrong he's 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 too far away from him he's not he's not and and he's kind of making he's giving he's, he's showing Lampsy the outside um which is not really what you want to do when you when you're up against a player when you're in that portion of the pitch where um where where and, and with Lampsy's ability and pace to get down the outside and put a ball in it was just it was just the wrong decision all round and the wrong execution in the moment um but yeah i i just I think that that one of the things that that might help him is if, is if we're able to play a centre back alongside him who's a bit more um, sensitive to the needs of space than Liam Cooper is because I think Liam Cooper's got a lot of strengths and this is not me saying Cooper should come out of the team because I I you know I think he has played really well um, so far this season. It's more about the fact that that when like if Pascal Strout were playing left centre back, his his appreciation of space his appreciation of potential danger it, um is 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 that bit sharper and that, that I think he would he would be aware that junior is vulnerable and he would be he would take up a position which would enable him to stop that whereas in that exact clip that you're talking about where Lamptey gets in behind junior if you watch it you'll actually see that Liam Cooper has pulled has been pulled right into the middle of the pitch and has actually left a lot of that exposed space as well so i th- I, I do i do think that 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 would help but but i think this is this is going to be a bit of a struggle for him and and it, you know i'm not i'm not saying it's beyond him to 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 learn how to do it and to kind of 
and, and and I think one of the things about the system is that that you, your your responsibility is your responsibility, right? Whereas in the zonal system, it, it is it's a much more shared responsibility for people being in the correct zones. And if you're in the correct zones and you make appropriate actions when you're in there, that's fine. Whereas in in our system, your man is your man, and and I, I do think it exposes people. Um, who who are either ball watchers or who've got kind of slight positional deficiencies, and I think I do, I do think he's going to be vulnerable to it throughout the season. I'm sure we could talk about Junior for for, for hours, and I'm sure we'll get chance. <laughs> it is a, it is a fascinating thing, and um, it's good to see him getting a little bit of confidence um, in the in the last half of football. So um, hopefully that will continue in the next few games. But um, another player who is often unfairly maligned, I think, by the fan base, and I think we sometimes get unfairly maligned for not maligning him as much as the fan base expect we should malign him and that's Tyler Roberts we got a full 90 minutes out of Tyler at nine yesterday do you think that's something that looks like we should have happened for the last four games rather than the experimentation with Dan James and Jack Harrison and whatever that we did yeah I do I do I think I think for a number of reasons I think um for his confidence I don't think it will have done him any good to 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 not get a start at nine in some of the some of the decimated squads, <coughs> excuse me, in some of the decimated squads that we've had over the um, over the last few weeks, um, I also think that in terms of him functioning as a nine in this team, he needs a run in order to do that. Whereas instead of just individual spots and individual moments, um, he need he needs to be given opportunities to both for the team to learn how he runs as a nine and what what's what spaces he takes up and how to feed him and also for him to kind of understand what the team needs I think that that understanding needs to develop um, and I don't think that he's been given opportunity to do that throughout his time at Leeds where primarily yeah he's, he's played a few times as a nine but he's he's really been treated as a kind of utility player and shunted around uh, you know right wing left wing number eight number ten you know, playing as a 10 and, and occasionally as a as a striker as well and I just don't think that that's going to do his skills as a striker any good particularly at this stage now obviously the, the needs of the team are more important in any given moment than what than than his needs um, before Tom Woodhead gets on at me about that um, but um, but yeah I think I think I, I do I do wish that he'd been given an opportunity to play at nine in these last few games. Um and what I think it's important to say is, and I think we've reiterated this a number of times on this channel, is that when we talk about Tyler being given chances and playing as a nine and, and all that, um or defending Tyler, what we're not saying is that we think that he's an he should be an automatic starter in this team, or that he should be playing instead of Bamford, or that he should be playing uh, in a, in any role above anybody else. But what we are saying is that he is one player that makes mistakes, but every single player on the team makes multiple mistakes in every game. And it seems to me that Tyler's are unfairly highlighted and that there's a lot of confirmation bias being used in terms of people's assessments of his game. So I, I actually probably think that, that his, you know, his role at Leeds is as a substitute, but as a substitute for Bamford is what I would like to see him him being used at. But what what do you think, John? Because I, I know we talk about about Tyler a lot, but do you think he should have been given that chance over the last few games? Yeah, like, I think the context to this is really important, and the, I think the context that we view this question through is Tyler Roberts is a backup striker that we have, who we had in the Championship. We haven't replaced him, and that. With that context in mind, his performances this season have been largely fine. Um, I think a lot of the fan base 
expect that when you have a player who is a backup player to Patrick Bamford, that when you bring him on for whenever you bring him on for the last 20 minutes of a game, he should be performing to the same level as Patrick Bamford. And if not, then why make that substitution? And if he doesn't, he's a failure. And I just think that there's, there's so much more context to it than that because this is all part and parcel of being a club who've been recently promoted um, he's one of those players who's a bit of a vestigial remainder from from that championship squad um, he's also a young player who needs to develop um, and he's also being played as you've mentioned as a bit part player where he's, he's sort of put in plugged into holes um, where where he's needed and I think I just think that it's as simple as that really that you've just got to you've got to bear the context in mind when judging a player um, and I do think that what's happened is that because the fact, obviously, the longer things go on and he doesn't get production in terms of goals and assists, the fans get more and more frustrated with him, and that just sort of becomes a breeding ground for confirmation bias. Now, I would say that, like, whenever we make the accusation of confirmation bias, we do have to admit that we have the potential to be um, biased in the opposite direction positively and 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 overlook some of the things that are bad about him. I hope that we've generally said the 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 things that we've said with with complimentary um complimentary uh, criticism as well um whereby we're saying there are things that he needs to work on there are things that he needs to do better and he's obviously not he's not ever going to be a, a starting nine for us in the premier league um but i think with all of that context in mind i, I think he's he's been largely okay i thought he had a good performance yesterday and i do think that the 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 experimentation with harrison and, and james was largely bad uh, i think the problem is is that when the, the, at the moment we, we we care so much about like the pressing side of 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 that striker position that we don't ever stop to think about like what we want when we're in possession and it's something i noticed a little bit yesterday with dan james is that yeah okay sometimes dan james presses well but then dan james ends up with the ball and then we don't do anything with it anyway so um i, I do think that you, you have to take all of those things into consideration really but um this actually moves us quite nicely onto a listener question we don't have a huge amount of time to to cover the questions um so sorry about that for the people who sent them in but um brolin ate the pie um a good source of questions on this podcast did send one in who said he said we could have easily lost that game the result doesn't conceal the dysfunction within the whole however it's possible to consider these performances as though bamford had played and think the outf- outcome would have been more assured do you think this argument is obvious or naive and i think i mean obviously that's touching on a lot of things that we've said already in this podcast but i think there's there's also the the question now of like what 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 happens by adding bamford into the this the, the, the equation for this team does does that team get better it's a really interesting question and I, I don't think it's either obvious or naive i think what what i tried to do when i thought about it was to break it down into what are the known quantities within this um so we we know what bamford's good at he's really good at occupying defenders he's really good at making smart runs he's really good at hold up play um and obviously his pressing alongside that is 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 really strong um so i expect as a result of that that when he comes into the team eventually um that he that our chance creation will increase what the question the open-ended question to that is by how much because i think i think that he will he he because of the way that he he um demands crosses to be put into certain areas because of the way that he moves in the box and kind of finds space for himself because of the way that he's he's good at turning on the edge of the a box and, and kind of getting a shot off and those sorts of things. I do think it is inevitable that we will see a bump in our in our XG creation over a period of time. Whether that will be enough to kind of ameliorate the problems that we've been having is 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 open is open ended, I guess. And and that's that's the the unknown quantity within it because I don't think I don't think that 
all or even a huge amount of the problems that we've been having in terms of chance creation are um, just about whether we've had the right striker on the pitch. They've been to do with other players in that area making making the wrong decision largely shooting from too far out when when there were better options on um and and i i, I do think <clears throat> i do hope that 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 him being in the team will reduce that somewhat but he's definitely not going to stop it because it's something that we've seen quite a bit over a period of time is that that our players get in range and suddenly there's a there's a kind of um well there's for one thing there's the, the entire Allen Road crowd shouting shoot which does my bloody head in because I'm going don't shoot pass <laughs> find an option <laughs> do something clever um uh but but I, I I do think he'll improve things somewhat um and I, I am hopeful that it will be enough to to make a an appreciable difference in in our attacking numbers yeah I'm, I'm with you I think that uh, when it comes to this sort of thing you want to have your best players on the pitch it's as simple as that and he's our best striker um so with him on the pitch it will be better I don't think it's going to sort out tactical issues necessarily I think we'll be able to do maybe a few things a little bit better I think we'll maybe do some of the things that we want to see a little bit more um but I do think that there's maybe an element of you know the solution to everything lying just beyond the the bounds of the pitch as as we like to find Leeds Leeds fans never do that (laughs) yeah yeah, I think it's probably a football fan thing isn't it yeah I know know. but yeah I think whenever you have the option of being able to say oh we've not been very good this player isn't playing then it's always tempting to to sort of make that um, assertion maybe maybe it's the case before we move on to talk about the review um, just got a a tweet that I found Darren on the internet um, that I would like to hear your thoughts on. Um, I'm not going to name the person who wrote this tweet because it, it may be a bit embarrassing for them in the future, but the tweet reads as, as follows. Whenever Dan James gets the ball at his feet, Elland Road rises and the fullback immediately starts a retreat. It's like watching Neymar's early years at Santos. Um, <clears throat> um, I do not agree with that statement <laughs> it will be my comment I think <laughs> yeah I, I ask that you will respect my privacy at this time but no comments will be made um, thank you to Grant Gendo for sending that one in much hilarity was had by all uh, but I think we should we should move on to the the preview section so on to the Brentford preview then. So John spoke to David Anderson from Beast Tactical and he spoke to him about Brentford starting the Premier League, about David's expectations for their season and David barely mentions Pontus Janssen, uh, much to Pontus's probable dismay. So David, hi, how are you? Hi John, yeah, really good, thanks. Thanks for having me on board. Yeah, it's nice to have a, a chat with you. It's been a while, we had a season where we didn't talk to each other. Uh, at least on this podcast we were <laughs> not friends anymore but Brentford in the Premier League for the first time looking fairly comfortable you must have enjoyed the season so far yeah it's been really enjoyable actually I think I um I made a special effort to just try and enjoy it as much as possible but yeah I, I think it started off really well for us um first six games we kind of took to it like a duck to water a lot of the games went uh, how we'd like as well. We scored first and we didn't go behind for a while and um, they suited the star we were bringing into the Premier League. Um, the second half of these 12 games, not quite as good as the first and and the things like injuries and everything everyone tells you about the Premier League, such as like bad luck or or missing players, important players and just being punished, all of those came to fruition and we've had a bit of a topsy-turvy bit of form into this game. But um yeah, coming into this, great to pick a win up against Everton and um, yeah, stem a run of 
just a winless streak, which really we were sort of worried about where it would come to an end. But yeah, it's been good so far. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, and looking at FB Ref, I see that you're top half for XG for and XG against, which is both both pretty good. I suppose you're 12th at the moment in the actual league, so you're maybe running a little bit under your underlying numbers. Does that tell the whole story of where Brentford are at? I mean, you've already suggested that uh, it may be the case that that you've felt a little bit more precarious in the last few games. It, was it just a case of sort of doing quite well in the first half and sort of still riding that wave in the second half of the of the opening third? Yeah, I think there's an element of that. I, I think. Um... I guess Brentford as a team and a strategy, you're always going to find we're going to put up good underlying numbers. Um, that's going to be the bare minimum. <clears throat> um, but yeah, the start, um, the first sort of six games, uh, we scored first, obviously. We got a good few chances. Um, what happened next was teams would come back at us and either we'd hit them again on the break with a good chance. And I, I think at this early stage, I mean, as we've, we've played 10 games, we've played 12 games, things should start levelling out and we can see a truer reflection of the quality of teams. But we're also seeing... A slight, a slight kickback from the quality of the league now. I think um, our good start is probably being pegged back a little bit, and I, I think what we're going to see now is teams actually exert their dominance over us, and that that a slip down the league a little bit in underlying metrics. That's that's my instinct of what I'm seeing. So, with all that in mind, what are your expectations for the rest of the season? Well, I, I, I think positive. I think we're going through a bit of a slump at the moment. Um, David Rea is a really important player for us. He's been ruled out for I think it's five months the the initial prognosis for him um that was a big blow and we've brought in a real well it's I don't really want to call him a rookie keeper but he looks like a rookie keeper he looks really inferior like he, he looks ill-equipped for this level but he's learning quickly and he's um he's sort of putting himself about a little bit and being a bit more dominant but yeah it's it's been a big blow to us and then a couple of other key issues um I is a big player for us um six foot seven signing um, big, like big, tall player, and helped us defensively. And he's also out injured now as well for a lengthy period. So I think we were a lot happier and a lot more excited in the early phase when everyone was fit and raring to go and ready. But these last few weeks have, have hit us pretty hard, and I, I think we've seen that the squad is probably not quite as strong as we thought. The, the first six games probably gave us a false sense of how how well we were doing with the league. You're not going to be able to keep your best players fit all season, and there is a there is a big reliance on Tony and Bemo firing us um, just enough goals whilst um, whilst we sort of rely on our defensive solidity to, to keep us above those three worst teams. <laughs> That's what we're hoping for. So do you think you'll escape relegation, but it will be close? I think we'll just do enough. Yes. Yeah, I, I do. I think um, seeing Everton play this weekend, you, you can see that there is... Um, there are teams with a real lack of quality in this league, and it's not just firepower, but I, I think defensively as well. I, I didn't think they looked great, especially from sort of set pieces and those kinds of things. Um, I think there's a few other teams that Norwich, for instance, um, Newcastle, Watford. I, I think we can consistently we can put up better numbers and consistently better performances than those, and we just have to hope that Lady Luck um, falls on our side and there are three worst teams. But yeah, my, my instinct is we're just going to do it. Yeah. I like to talk about the summer transfer window um, just to hear about players who've been coming through. So I know you've brought in a lot of players, but maybe we could focus on the players who you've brought in who've stood out for you so far this season. Yeah, the the key one or the key signings are probably the biggest ones. Frank Onyeka, Christopher Ayer, and then just behind those, Johan Wisser. Um, Frank Onyeka, he was brought in from Brentford's sister club, um, FC Mitteland over in Denmark. Um, I think he's a player they tracked for a while. 
just possesses all of the qualities that a, a top Premier League midfielder needs. Like he's press resistant, he can draw fouls, um, he can shoot from the edge of the box, good in transition. He's just ready made for the Premier League, and he's he's had a few fitness issues um, and uh, has had a spell out of the team. But I think we look a better team when he's playing. Um, he he has that energy and that that ball skill that that sort of drags us from looking a little bit cloggy to something a little bit more aesthetically pleasing and um he gives us that that push forward that drive that we seem to be lacking we're, we're, we're quite a direct team and i think without him we we can look too direct now i think we're relying on that a bit too much but um i is another one he is he came in from celtic as, as i said just previously six foot seven a huge player tracked um by quite a few clubs actually and in the end i think the scandinavian ties um, sold him and did well for us to bring him in but um, yeah he he's he looks a class player really good on the ball good at going past players for, for someone his size he's just got incredible dribbling ability and and could just turn inside and, and leave players but also just invaluable height I mean he isn't actually the the best for someone so big it's just naturally you'd think he's great in the air but he's he's not fantastic in the air but he's such a presence that that that's often enough um and he, yeah, he's been a, a bit of a loss to us whilst he's been injured, but definitely stood out in how quickly he's adapted to Premier League. And um, Johan Wiss is the the last one I'll speak of. Um, he came in from Lorient. Uh, he's a wide forward, um, like that sort of typical wide, modern wide forward that can play kind of kind of anywhere across the front three or four positions, however you want to look at it. He he's a talented player, really good on the ball, um, good strike of the ball, first time finishing. Um, had a few weird. Uh, I don't know if you know the story about him, but he was involved in an acid attack um, with a with uh, an ex partner, and his eyesight was. Um, his, yeah, he he nearly lost his eyesight. Basically, it was. Um, it never actually got that bad, and he recovered well, and I, th- I think everything's fine now. But um, we were, we were tracking him for a while, and in the end, got him. Um, but he's been out with a with a muscular injury, I believe. I'm not sure actually what it was, but kept him out. But he's he's back in the fold now. But yeah, just a. A lot of our team forward players relying on Tony and Bemo. Um, Wissa's just another level of quality on those two in terms of just ball striking and and in and around the box and just his movement as well, especially in possession. He he's a real he's a real upgrade on everything else we have, and we just need to get him onto the pitch as much as possible. Really good uh, goals per ninety record. He's he's hardly played, and he's got a couple of really important goals for us. So let's talk a little bit about Thomas Frank as the Brentford manager. Obviously, he's a manager who's brought you up into the Premier League uh, and has had a pretty good record with you guys. Are you still happy with him at the helm? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I think, um, I mean, it would take a it would take a monumentally drastic run of form for anyone to really consider him going. I, I think he suits where we are now. He's he, We're stable. I think um, we look like we're improving. Players regularly look like they're improving under him. Um, we're on the up still. It, I'm not sure there'd be many other managers that would come in and immediately grab this and do a do a better job. I think um, he's well liked. I think he gets the model of the club. He gets the overall strategy. He's a big part of that. Um, he's Danish as well. I think that's a it's a big market for us. I think that that youth players that basically players that a lot of the Danish players coming through now have featured on a youth um, element for him in previous. Um, in previous years gone by when he was um, working in the Danish youth national sides. He, he's just a, I think he's, he's more of an asset than I think um, some may give him credit for. And it, it would be silly to, silly to move him on. There would just be no reason at the moment. As I was saying, it would just takes something drastic and uh, maybe 10 games in a row, like 10 straight losses. And his position might be, 
brought into question. But yeah, he's he's great for the club. I think um, a really shrewd thinker, and yeah, he's he's been a big part of us improving defensively in these last few years. So talk us through the tactics that Frank has been playing in the Premier League. Yeah, so I think um, I probably should address it because a lot of people might not have seen much of Brentford over the years, but Brentford were a free-flowing, forward-thinking, attacking, basically probing team. We would always play on the front foot, we'd dominate the ball and we'd be hit on the counter time and time again. This is in our championship years, um, trying to get out of the league. And Thomas Frank took over from Dean Smith and just transformed the entire ethos of the club in that we need to be better defensively. So he... In the last few years, um, Brentford have been transitioning into the team we see today. Much more rigid. We we play with wing backs now. Um, three centre backs that generally hold their position. The wing backs work hard. They control. Um, they, there's a lot of responsibility on them on the wings. And then we have three midfielders sat in front of this um, this sitting back three. And and it's it's just the base we build from. Everything starts from there. We have Tony, who's also act, who acts like a defensive forward. He's not really. He's not really sort of pacey and going to get him behind. He he works hard and he he gets in in sort of physical battles just so we can get out and, and get a breather and win fouls and get us up the pitch. Um, yeah, we're, we're just a we're just a very focused, like defensively focused team now, and we pick our attacking moments um, as well as we can. We yeah, I think um, a lot of what we've seen this season is where the good part came from was us um, either scoring first or the game being drawn and um, us being able to just sit on our shape a little bit, just just concentrate on being in that 3-5-2, um, hard to beat, hard to break down. And then we'll see where the attacking game takes us. Um, another side of it is the set pieces, obviously. That's a big part. Um, we've come into this league thinking we're not going to get lots and lots of chances in open play. We need to be as good as we can in set pieces. And that's been built into our play for these last couple of years. We've got some good routines. We've got huge players. I mean, that's probably something that we should definitely highlight that Brentford is a team of just a team of giants when really we were a team of dwarves and this not so long ago. So we're a physical side airily. And um, yeah, those are kind of our, those, those are what the overall plan is of how we're going to stay in this league. We're going to be tough to beat. Um, we're going to sit in that three-five-two, and we're going to be good at set pieces offensively and defensively, and then we'll see where everything takes us. Yeah, you've talked to me this season about your frustrations with the three-five-two. Uh, could you just talk us through that and maybe suggest how you might change things up? Yeah, I think the the frustrations with it are that there's periods in games when we look pretty terrible, and I think terrible is probably a harsh word, but... We, we can't stabilise possession in the middle of the field. There's either the midfielder either too deep or or the, the sort of forward players are, are too detached from the team. So it's often skipping midfield. It goes into Tony, who's um, either pulled out to the left or central, and then him trying to get the ball under control and lay it off to Mbemo or trying to do that in one touch. And it's really difficult for the midfield to get and join in with that. So you're, you're often left with just Tony and Mbemo up against four centre back, uh, yeah, a defensive line of four or three centre backs or five. And it can, it can just get a bit, this ball just keeps getting recycled and coming back and coming back. And I think, it, I think it's good to establish that sometimes these, these patterns are not, they, they are coach dependent as well. I mean, it's, it's definitely a coach's decision to say, let's hold these players back and not move forward because there are periods in games when we can come out and we can actually push the defensive line high, just gamble a little bit more with the space in behind and really pin a team back and go for it. So it's, it's, under, it's the frustration lies with, are, are we doing that enough? And are, are we sitting on that deep shape too much? And yeah, have they decided that 1-0, as in for this weekend just gone, the 1-0 we established against Everton, are we confident enough that Everton haven't got enough to score and we can just sit and see out the rest of the hour of this game 
yeah, just just soaking up pressure. And I, I believe they're confident enough that they can do that. The frustrations for me is I, I think a lot of I guess a lot of statistical analysis would say go for that second goal. Like don't sit on that first. You need to look at you need to look at two nil, look at three nil. Otherwise, uh, otherwise this game has a habit of biting you in the ass. Um, that's where my frustrations probably lie. I think there should be more situations where we have three recognised forwards, not just expecting the wing backs to have played seventy minutes in their wing back positions and then sort of move them forward a little bit, or or. Maybe the midfield selection has been too defensively minded. Matt, Matthias Jensen's a player that's really divisive amongst our our fan base and um, and watchers of Brentford. Very much bordering on this kind of luxury player that is he actually delivering enough on the pitch? And and when he does play, he's quite deep as well. Frank Onyeka is the one that stands out. He's he's got the energy and the the physicality to join in with the forward line from midfield. And and Godos does that a little bit as well. So I think those two players probably haven't played enough to make us look like the the offensive team I'd probably a bit more enjoy. It's interesting because Brentford are often talked about as a team who are great in the sum of their parts. And that was definitely something that was, I, I guess, similar to the way Leeds were as well. Who would you say had be, has been the most important player for you this season then? On top of the fact that you obviously play this sort of system-heavy approach, um, who would you say has been the player who's really uh, helped you perform the way that you've been performing? I think a lot of the game goes through Tony. I think it's it's obviously a bit cliche to just talk about your supposed star striker being the, the most important player, but I, I think it's 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 non-traditional striker reasons why he is so important. It, I dropped it earlier. He's a defensive forward. He he works so hard in um, sort of defensive areas. Um, he's always willing, pressing wise out of possession. He's he's just a real physical player, and I think that that outlet. If we didn't have that, we'd be a much more sort of flighty, precarious, um, sort of maybe individualistic team. Whereas with him. He sort of galvanizes and and he's a fulcrum to build from and you can bounce off him and he'll get the crowd going and he'll he'll wrestle a couple of defenders um he's definitely our most important player i think there's a there's actually a lot of goal saving actions he's made as well i mean he made a couple of clearances off the line in in the last few games he's a real yeah he's a real figurehead for um us i guess he really stands for us doing everything we can to stay in this league i think that's how that's how i view him and it, it's not through shots and it's not through goals i don't think he's going to be i think if he gets double figures i think it'll be really impressive I, I can't see him getting to that unless we get a flurry of penalties but if we can get enough pace around him that's i think if we do move a little bit away from this 352 and we get a bit more of a 433 going if we get two wide forwards around him we could be a little bit more dangerous as um as the season goes on but for now yeah, definitely. Um, definitely our most important player. So let's move on to talk a little bit about the Leeds game in particular. How do you feel about facing Leeds this season? You obviously know what to expect from Leeds because of our our big battles in the Championship. Also, Leeds have that sort of outlier quality now of, of underperforming, feeling a little bit like things are falling apart. So, how do you feel about this game going into it? If I'm being totally honest, I'm. I think this is one of the best times to play Leeds. I think. Uh, you're obviously an inferior version of the last few years. Um, I've watched quite a lot and uh, obviously following you guys on the All Stats Army channel and um, try and watch as many Leeds games as possible because they're just fascinating affairs. And it's it's definitely a weakened team. I, I think it feels like a team that needs a refresh. Um, it's it's the same large core of players with a couple of additions, but it, it feels like a cycle that's gone on slightly too long and there hasn't been enough change or, or improvement in a couple of key areas. So... In a game, yeah, in, in an individual game basis, this is a brilliant time, I think, to play Leeds. I think a lot of teams are looking at that now and thinking, has a little bit of the dust of Bielsa worn off? Um, 
teams learn in the Premier League as well. I think you're, you're, you've got analysis departments, you've got good coaches, you've got there's not as many places to hide the qualities of Leeds now. Everyone can see them. The man marking system they can they can try and disrupt that. They can try and um, let Leeds run out of steam and come onto them, and then push on with the three at the back and try and and try and exploit that. There, there's ways to get through Leeds now, which weren't probably as obvious before, or weren't basically weren't weren't being able to be as got at as before. So, without sounding too cocky, I, I'm quite looking forward to it. I, I think there might be a clash of styles. I think the two stars should do quite well for us in this one. I think previous Leeds matches, we'd have tried to outplay you and it was more tactical playing through the thirds affairs. I think there's going to be a little bit more skipping off that midfield and and just us picking up second and third balls and then trying to break away um, rather than us actually just trying to go toe-to-toe with you and just playing through that middle and dominating that. I think we'll be happy to let you have that that ball there, sit deep and then see what we can pick on the counter. So yeah, it, it could be a really interesting game. You've mentioned that obviously David Raya is out. Um, you've also mentioned that Christopher Ayo is out. Is there any other injuries or suspensions ahead of this game? Yeah, so those two, uh, the main ones. I think the backup for those players, or one of the players, um, Zanka Jorgensen, he's also picked up an injury. I believe he's out with a hamstring for a period of time as well. So um, Charlie Good played on the weekend and uh, we kept a clean sheet. I, I don't know if it was all down to him, but um, he played and we did okay. I think he might come in again fill that space as well um we're not doing too badly in injuries I, I think there's this big obsession that we're we're on our i think the brentford fan base are like we're we're sort of on our last legs but really from our first team there's only a couple of key players missing i think it's just that supporting act where um we're just sort of we're down into the the players that we wouldn't really like to see on the pitch playing in some occasions um but no no other than um Aya and raya we can't really complain too much about injuries and then in terms of lineup, how would you want to guess the lineup for, for Sunday? I should say we are recording this before the Palace game, so uh, no doubt you've got you've got a game at, at some point this yeah, week. Yeah, the Spurs are later this week. Um Right. That's Thursday, is it maybe? Yes, yes, it is. It's Thursday night, yeah. Yeah, so we don't know how we come out of that. Hopefully unscathed and everyone um still ready to go. But uh yeah, I, I think the lineup will be um, similar to to all of the games we've had previously, I think you'll see Pontus Janssen centre uh, as a player you know well, um, playing centre back. Uh, Ethan Pinnock will be on the left side of the fence. Um, probably probably Charlie Good, depending on um, Jorgensen's fitness on that right centre back position. Uh, right wing back will be Sergi Canos. Left wing back will be Rico Henry. Um, our optimum midfield, I think, we're starting to see. I believe it's um, Christopher Norgard, Vitali Yanelt, and um, Frank Onyeka. Um, and then the forwards, Tony and Mbemo, and probably Mbemo switching with um, Johan Wisser. If that's the only change I'd probably make to that team. But yeah, that's that's the I think that's the best lineup we can put out. And the question that I ask people this season isn't so much about predictions, but where you expect the game to be won or lost. So how would you answer that question? Where do you think this game will be won or lost? I think this is going to be one and loss with Leeds, actually. Um, I, th- I think we're going to be happy to, to, as I was saying, just sit and lean on that three-five-two defensive structure. But what what I've seen of Leeds recently in possession, I've just I've found baffling. I think um, if um, uh, I think it was the Brighton game, I think if there's a repeat of some of the the way you gave the ball in that match, the way the way you just couldn't get out, and I, I thought it was quite lapsed at times. And I think there's going to be an, uh, there's going to be a push for you to see what you can do on the ball, and if you if you run out of steam, it would be up to us to try and hit you on the counter, and that's that's how I see the game going. It would be dependent on how well you use possession, and if you're 
if you're lapsed with that, what we can do it in that in those quick turnovers there. That's how I think it'll be lost. And hopefully we can exploit you in those position, uh, positions. Well, David, it's always a pleasure to chat to you. What is the best way that our listeners can find the stuff that you're putting out? I'll jump onto Bees Tactical. Yeah, Bees Tactical um, on Twitter. There's a Substack. There's a Patreon as well. Um, there's podcasts and uh, yeah, there's all sorts. But yeah, anywhere you search for stuff, just search for Bees Tactical. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. No problem, John. Thanks and um, best of luck. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. John, so I've really not paid much attention to Brentford since Leeds were promoted and and I watched the Everton game this morning um, to, to kind of get some sense of how they're playing now and um god things have really changed in terms of how they play haven't they that was that was a bit bit of a surprise to me yeah i think it's quite an interesting correlation with how leads were when they came up because obviously the big questions with with leads were like how are they going to manage their sort of gung-ho attacking style when they came into the premier league and we saw Obviously, they they didn't change it at all, and um, there was the big moratorium when Leeds got battered by Manchester United. A, a big what? You have to look that one up, Darren. That's uh, I will. I will. Thank you. About Leeds' style, and we saw obviously the zonal system coming in with Dallas maybe sitting a little bit more in midfield. Um, and yeah, I suppose that was that was Leeds' way of, of being a little bit more solid. But we know a lot about Brentford, and Brentford played a similar sort of attacking style of play. You have to play an attacking style of play to get out of the championship. Uh, and so the solution to them being in the Premier League has just been that they've just been a lot more solid, a lot more structured. Um, and they're going to try and stay in this league by having a defensive system that works. Now, I think it's a, it's a, you know, there, there can be an element of risk to that. We've seen teams do that and then go down in seasons after that. And, I, you know, Daniel Farker, actually, um, the, the recently departed Norwich manager, I think was really good on this, basically saying, you know, if you if you go up with a defensive system, there's not really much you can do. There's, you, you sort of hit your ceiling quite quickly because all you can do is just get better players in to play the same system. Um, 
Whereas I think when you play an attacking system, yeah, okay, you put yourself at risk of, of maybe losing some games, but um, you, you have a you do have a much better higher ceiling that you can you, you can uh, approach. So obviously that hasn't worked out very well for Norwich, but um, I, I think the general the general idea is there, and so it will be interesting to see how Brentford sort of develop in, as they go forward. Uh, I suspect it will look like them developing a bit more of a, a, a tactical style of play that will allow them to attack more as they bring in better players as well. So, um, yeah, I, I think this is going to be very different from some of the games that we played in the Championship. Yeah, for sure. They're playing a kind of 3-5-2, which turned into a 5-3-2 when, when they're defending. Um, and that means that Leeds will will match up with a 3-5-2 of our own, as we've seen in the past. And I I, I think that obviously we'd, we'd don't know who came out of last night unscathed or whatever. So I don't want to get too much into the team selection issues, but I think it is important to to try and get some sense of what that might look like. So I think um, it looked like Pascal Strauch picked up um, or aggravated one or the other, an injury um, last night. And so I guess that feels like that might put him out of the game. So I get, uh, the first question I would have around that is how do we go about constructing uh, a back three um, without Pascal? Yeah, I, th- I suspect that he probably will be missing. It looked as though maybe a knee, maybe a hip. It looked a little bit like he maybe slipped and 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 stretched his hip flexor a little bit. And it's the same sort of thing that we saw with Mateus Click when we had a dodgy pitch, and it was obviously quite wet last night. So I, I suspect he won't be there. The obvious answer to this, I think, is dropping in Calvin Phillips, which is probably what we'll see. Um, and then, then I think like the other options are Junior on one side which I don't want to say based on what we said <laughs> see but based on what I said in the first half of this podcast uh, and then maybe Charlie Cresswell on the outside right um potentially we've seen him play I think he played against West Ham and and, and looked okay that's maybe a bit more of a risk risky option so I think the the option taken will probably be Calvin Phillips mm, so that'll make it a back three of Llorente Phillips and Cooper in 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 all probability and then beyond that um I guess I guess the next question really is how we use Rafinha because that that puts the rest of the team um, selection into focus, really. So how do you anticipate that we'll use Rafinha? Your video this week, John, um, suggested that um, that teams have been trying to push Rafinha back into less dangerous areas when Leeds play him out wide. So do you expect, therefore, to see him as part of a front two or playing as a wide forward? Yeah, I think we'll play him as a front two. I think whenever we come up against a back three this season now, we'll use that as an excuse to re- remove some of Rafinha's defensive responsibilities so that's the difference between him man marking an outside centre back and man marking a wing back and obviously wing backs are given a lot more license to get forward so um, if he were marking a wing back he would end up you know deep deep defending a lot of the time whereas marking an outside centre back just means he's there nearer the goal when when attacks are sprung. Sure and specifically for Brentford it looks like Rico Henry is quite important in terms of their attacks so that would mean Rafinha having to do quite a lot of defensive legwork yeah. if he played as, yeah, exactly. as, as a wing back wouldn't it? Yeah. That's why I argued that Potter went with a back four rather than a back three because it just meant that he could force Rafinha deeper than than he would otherwise so yeah. Mm, sure. So if we play Rafinha as a as a second striker or as, as as one of the strikers, then that leaves the wing back slot open to debate on on each side. So I guess we're thinking Junior Firpo will play on the left. Who do you, who do you anticipate to play on the right? Yeah, I mean, even with Junior on the left, I mean, I'd like to see Junior on the left because that, that's the position that he plays in. But we may well see one of the wingers play there as well, potentially. And um yeah, given that Rafinha is obviously playing forward, the other options I think are probably Dan James first and foremost, and then Stuart Dallas. Personally, don't think 
playing Dan James there would be the worst thing. But um, again, you, you're just going to be in a situation where he'll not be near the front of the, um, the one, near the attack for, for long parts of the game as well. So it would be you very much like it's just... a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> maybe maybe not. But um, I, I, I do think that the other the, the other option I think is Dallas. But I think given that Phillips will be dropping out into the centre back role, I think we'll be expected to see Dallas in the middle anyway. So yeah, I think probably probably Dan James. Yeah, I agree. And to, to you know, for all my little snarky comment there, I think he'd do. I think he would do a good job uh, wing back in this game, and I think it would suit a lot of his a lot of his um, attributes. Suit a lot of his attribute. <laughs> <laughs> yes, quite good straight line speed. Always good for a wing back, right? Indeed, and and therefore you'd expect to see Forshaw, Dallas, and probably Rodrigo as the midfield three. Because I think I don't think this is going to be a particularly press heavy game for Leeds, so I think that does allow us to to play Rodrigo in that role and hope that he can pick up a pretty free free attacking role. Really, I mean, it's going to be between Rodrigo and Click, right? Click, I don't know, hasn't looked great recently. I think I think the position that he plays, we always need. Um, but I think he'll be probably better in games where we need a high press and we need um, and we need to sort of build up a little bit more intelligently, um, which I don't think we needed to do as much yesterday. Um, the only other thing with Rodrigo is, yeah, okay, if if, if Brentford aren't really pressing or, or if we're not really pressing aggressively against Brentford, then it doesn't really matter so much, and it's probably better to have him on the field because he is a creative player in a central space, and we'll talk in a little bit about about the the prob- problems that Leeds can have creating in central spaces. Uh, but I do think that there's been a few games this season where he's not played particularly well when teams aren't willing to engage the press as well because they those games just sort of do end up being quite um, transitional in the sense of back and forth in terms of each team giving the opposition the ball by just hitting it along and hoping they can win the second ball. Um, so Norwich, I think, stands out in my mind in this regard for Rodrigo. And I feel as though in that game, the game sort of passed Rodrigo by largely because because they were, I mean, one, they were able to work our press out quite well. Uh, but but also, I think that, that you know, there was just never a situation where Leeds were able to control the ball for long enough to actually bring him into the game as well. So, um, and there's been other games as well where it, where the game has just maybe the Newcastle game. I'm not sure if he played in that game. No, I think he did. Yeah, he did play. I, I feel like any of those games where neither team really wants to keep the the well, well, particularly the team that Leeds are playing against don't want to keep the ball in possession. Um, they just go long, and then it's just a question of whether or not Leeds can progress the ball to him. And if they can't do that, then it just feels as though he sort of runs around a lot. And um, yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes. But I, I suspect you're right. I suspect it is Rodrigo and Tyler Roberts up front with Rafinha, probably. Yeah, I don't see why that should shouldn't change. And um, I, I think this is the sort of game where potentially bringing someone like Joe Gelhart on with 20 minutes to go might be a good one, especially if we we sort of end up being forced out wide by Brentford. Yeah, which we're going to talk about now. So, um, as David said, Brentford um, defend from a fairly central block of six in their three-five-two, and more or less attack with four players. That's kind of how I saw it in the Evan game anyway. Not to say that other players don't ever join the attack, but but primarily it's about getting the ball to, to Tony, him holding it up and bringing their wing-backs into play. Um and but what that means is when they when they defend in that central block of six, it means that they're likely to try and funnel us into fairly harmless wide areas, and they're going to be quite happy to field deep crosses from us um, with their giant central defenders uh, <laughs> in the middle. So how how can we avoid falling into that 
into that trap, John, because it is it is something that we've seen. I think in thinking of the Wolves games that we've seen quite often, where where we end up just sort of punting fairly harmless crosses in from deep and in, in, from sort of the middle of their half, and they're just going to head them away all all day long, aren't they? Yeah, and we we said this before, but the the issue with this falling into the trap language is that like partly the, that that trap is so we're so susceptible to it because it's kind of what we're trying to do. We're trying to get the ball into wide areas and and work it into the into the box usually. And I think the addition of that central extra central defender just makes it a little bit more tricky uh, in this in this situation. I think one in terms of progression, so getting the ball. Obviously, we are going to try and work the ball into channels quickly and get in behind fullbacks when we're playing against a back four, but against a back three and wing backs, you're trying to get it in behind the wing backs, but you then have a spare centre back who can just come across and cut out any any dangerous ball, really. Um, also, obviously, when we get the ball in those wide areas, the, the three centre backs just sort of patrol the edge of the six yard box and, and, and do a zonal mark where the ball gets crossed in. One of the three of them will probably get ahead on it over, over our strikers. So I think on the one hand, yeah, you've got to try and be creative in those situations, maybe try and, um, rely to a certain extent on, on a little bit of luck. I mean, we, we did see a lead score a pretty good goal against Spurs um, by getting in behind the wing back and then Harrison putting a good ball in um, that that James could put away um, but then the other thing is as we saw against Wolves is as I've suggested maybe a little bit more central creativity so that might be why we might see Rodrigo if we can get him into the game but then um, it depends very much on how deep Brentford are going to block um, because I think Wolves just went so deep in that Wolves game that when we brought on Gelhart, he was able to get the ball to feet and run at defences a little bit more. Um, and I think that's sort of that's the sort of situation where you might want to get him involved in the game when you need a little bit more guile to to break down low lying blocks in the box as well. So that would be my solution to that. Yeah, and I think the difference between what I'm describing when when I talk about falling into the trap, John, because I totally hear what you're saying. We do try and create in in wide areas. I'm talking about us trying to throw aerial crosses in. Um, to, uh, where they're just going to eat that up all day long. So I think if we are going to try and get into wide areas, that, that cross from Harrison to James in the Spurs game is a really good example <clears throat> because it's a smart cross, it's low, and it, and it's 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 targeted to a specific run, whereas I think that, that's not just slinging the ball into wide areas. So I think I think the deeper we can get to the byline, closer we can get to the byline and, and, the, and the, 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 the lower, you know, get lower crosses across the six-yard box, I, I hear what you're saying about Brentford being able to eat that up kind of zonally but I do think that gives us a better chance than just kind of hiking the ball in um, to, into the box Yeah it's about getting ahead of the play I think yeah. and the, the issues with these sorts of systems is always that they, these teams seem to be able to fall into their low blocks so easily and if you can't get ahead of that play then you're just going to be destined to just yeah swing in aimless crosses like you say Yeah um, and I think interestingly uh, just thinking about Leeds, Leeds build up um, so I, I don't think Brentford are going to put press is particularly high they are going to sit in in a block of either a medium low or a medium medium block and they'll they'll only really press when there's a second ball to be won or or when there are specific pressing triggers like I notice that when there's a backward pass to a defender that will often trigger uh, Ivan Tony to to kind of press that player um, and I'm expecting to see quite a bit of Leeds horseshoeing the ball around the back three maybe similar to the way we had to do against Everton um, albeit Everton's formation was different um, so I, I, I kind of feel like we need to somehow try and draw Brentford out a little bit um, in order to in order to get in behind them, is that how you see it, John? Yeah, I think it's in terms of the way that the game sort of unfolds tactically. It will be similar to what 
Palace were doing, uh, albeit I think that Brentford might be a little bit smarter in their in their mid block. They might be slightly higher in their mid block, uh, but they'll be doing a similar sort of thing. They'll be looking to absorb pressure, not allowing Leeds to get, as I've said, ahead of the play when they're in in, in their own defensive transitions. Uh, and then looking to get the ball forward to Tony to try and get him to hold it up and bring some of their players into play going forward. Um, so yeah, I think it will be it'll be similar to that. Um, the issues are going to be the same issues that we had against Palace. I think that are going to be um, one. What do you do when the opposition is has no interest in engaging with your press? Um, and two, what do you do when the opposition and necessarily targeting your build-up play to try and win the ball and then sort of counter it's almost like a gagan press there so win the ball in the in the in the build up phase and then try and make the most of the opposition lack of structure in that situation so i think that's that's i don't know if that's necessarily answered your question but i, I do think that it's um in terms of in terms of like pulling brentford out i don't think they will allow us to do that um and that's kind of the point um they know that if they do allow us to do that then we'll probably generate some decent chances yeah and I think I think from that point of view I think it's important to say now that I think it's probably going to be quite a frustrating game um to to watch um and that's yeah that's kind of what I'm expecting so you touched on on our press there John so I I, again I watched the Brentford v Everton game and I was surprised by how direct Brentford were so Everton had no real interest in pressing at all and and Brentford were quite happy to knock the ball around their back three or four when when that was the case but as soon as Everton engaged in any way and tried to move forward Brentford went went longer so how do you expect Leeds to approach the, the pressing on Sunday because that that's something we're a bit vulnerable to I think when when we try and engage a press and they just go over it I don't often feel like we quite know what to do in that situation yeah I, I think that again I think that's kind of the point for for the opposition to do that sure. um yeah as we've said before because Leeds is control of games and their press are so dependent on um their ability to to hold the ball then I and, and I and I think that, that at the moment Leeds have an issue sort of holding the ball. I think what oppositions think is well, there's two ways we can approach this. We can try and build up through the press. The problem is if we lose the ball, we're going to be vulnerable to a counter attack, or we can just play the ball long and put the pressure on Leeds to build up and l- allow them to make the mistake and then us to benefit from it. So I I, I think the, the the problem is is that when both teams are sort of if if that goes if it goes that way if if Brentford try and play it over the top give it to Leeds, Leeds are struggling to get the ball through their, their mid block, then Leeds will start playing the ball long and the ball will be turned over to Brentford. And so you just end up with these sort of wildly transitional games in, in the sense that, it's, and it's not even that you know, you're know you're you're seeing lots of exciting counter-attacks, it's simply the ball just changing possession backwards and forwards a little bit like a tennis tennis game. So you're talking about lots of ter- lots of scrappy turnovers rather than... Because when you say wildly transitional, that sounds like good fun to me, but the sort <laughs> yeah. of game you're actually describing isn't good fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. it's just lots of the ball being given away quite sloppily. It, it, um, so Brighton is a good example of that, right? Brighton yeah. were very good at stopping Leeds from being able to build it out of the back, and so all they had was l- lofted balls hugely into channels, and mm. Leeds' wingers are never going to be the greatest... At- taking the ball down out of those situations and then and then moving into a different phase of possession and so what tends to happen is the ball ends up going back to their the opposition centre backs they start their build up and again that's what you what's what you're trying to do now Brighton we're, we're building up by playing through our press um, and 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 then we're losing the ball further forward and and that becomes the issue with Leeds is that if if teams can get through your, their press and, and maintain possession 
beyond that, then we sort of get into these sort of long stretches where it just feels as though we're punting the ball out, the ball's coming back, being lost maybe on the edge of the box, being punted out, one back, being lost at the edge of the box, and we're never able to win those balls back in in those dangerous areas where we can create problems. I think we did that a bit better against Palace. I think there were some situations where we won it higher up the pitch. Um, but I think that's going to be the question against Brentford is is going to be can we win the, the ball in those positions higher up the uh, up the pitch and and how do we deal with the fact that they are going to be putting us under a lot of pressure by playing directly at our at our centre backs. I think some teams will play the ball very directly at our centre backs and will win the second ball because they know that our, our centre backs do have a little bit of a clangor in in them. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens in that respect. And it's exactly what happened last night, isn't it? Because in the, in the first 15 minutes, I thought Leeds press really crackled and we were putting them under a lot of pressure. And then eventually Palace made a decision that they were just weren't going to engage in the ball in, the, in, in their back third and just started kind of um, going much longer. And, and that, that turned into, for, for the middle section of the game at least, into the, exactly the sort of game that you're describing. And, and I, it just kind of occurs to me that that's the sort of game in which you're going to see Rafinha waste the ball from halfway a lot where he's looking for those big wonder balls over the top from the halfway line one of which paid off last night but but several of which um, really didn't so I think that's that's interesting so where do you think the game will be won or lost on uh, on Sunday John? It's going to come down to whether or not Brentford can, can stop Leeds from building up um, I know that's maybe a little bit broad but I think if if they do frustrate us in terms of progressing the ball into their half then we could start seeing them uh, us trying to just play the ball a little bit more directly and and facing a little bit of sustained pressure uh, but i think if we can progress the ball to the other half then we'll have a game like we had against palace where yeah okay maybe we're not going to be creating the best chances but the it will feel as though we're perhaps controlling the game a little bit better and we would feel more unlucky to lose than we would feel lucky to win in that sense so yeah that's what i'll say yeah it's whether we can get into into the sort of attacking areas that I saw Junior get into a couple of times. I'm not just talking about Junior. I think it needs to happen on both sides. But whether we can get into those areas consistently enough, it'd be one of those again, again, again games where we where we keep trying the same thing. I think, and uh, and it's just about whether we actually manage to get one of them to to come off um, or not. Okay, so that that leads us to the end of the podcast. John, I thought your video about Brighton was absolutely brilliant. So do you just want to talk about that for a moment? Yeah, we mentioned it a little bit in the podcast, but essentially I was asking the question, why did Graham Potter take their back three system and change to a 4-2-3-1 for the Leeds game? So I had three reasons why I thought that that happened and I sort of broke them down, gave the theory and then tried to show on the tape how that happened. So yeah, if, if that sounds interesting to you, then head over to our Patreon, which is www.patreon.com patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we and uh, I, I noticed also that, that, that Hobbsy put out a slasher horror starring uh, <laughs> Junior Furpo uh, for, yeah. <laughs> for his film yeah if you've not had enough of Junior after this episode where I think we've mainly talked about him uh, then then that's also on the Patreon as well so we will be back on Monday with, with a review of the uh, Brentford game but um, until then enjoy the game and have a great week
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.